Welcome, all you creatures of the night and late night prowlers. This is the latest podcast episode in gore and guts, slasher screams and squeals, and all the things which conjure up your nightmare. To be afraid is accepted, but it won't save you from the dangers which leer right over your shoulder and breathe down your neck. When the lights are out and the night is still, the beating of your heart will give away your hiding place. It will find you, and it will not be forgiving. This is... It records. Welcome back, all you creatures of the night. Thank you, one and all, for joining us here as we are going to discuss some horror movies on the It Records podcast. Your favorite horror podcast. I don't know. I maybe, maybe we are. Maybe we're one of several. But I'd like to think we're one of your favorites. But I, I'm one of your hosts, Matt Johnson, and I am joined, as always, with the intelligent, magnanimous... Uh, benevolent, always charming, Lindsay Clark. Lindsay Clark, thanks for, for showing up. And Pete, Pete Hanson is here as well. Mm, mm, mm. Here we go you again. You know what bothers me about that, Matt, is that you never give a shout out to the creatures of the day. It's always the night with you, and I don't I don't get it. Not a fan. Not a fan of the day creatures. This is for <laughs> creatures of the night. Makes All right. sense. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> All right. No, I might work it in. I'll mull it over. I'll see if I uh, I'll give them a shout out on the on the next episode. The creatures of the day. Yeah, that's probably Blade. what they're listening to us. Really, Blade's a creature of the day. Who? Blade. Blade. Yeah. Touche. Touche. Daywalkers isn't that a movie where the vampires do shit during the day? Is it Daywalkers? Or is it Daybreakers? Is it it day might be Daybreakers. Is that Daywalkers? Is I think, day... Yeah, I think it's I think it's Daybreakers. Daywalkers is like I I remember that from yeah. South Park actually. They're like, you know, like you're like mostly a ginger but you don't have freckles or whatever. <laughs> so they call you a daywalker. daywalker. Okay. Yeah. Well close, yeah. Daybreakers is the one with uh Doctor Alan Grant and Ethan Hawk and William Defoe. Yeah. I always forget about that one. I just remembered it just now. <laughs> yeah, it just creeps up. But speaking of other horror movies, it's been a while since we've talked to one another. Before we launch into the movie we watched for this week, I was going to throw it to you guys. What have you been watching, you know, horror or otherwise? What's new? Welcome to the show. It's time to find out what the terrible trio have been watching. Or who has been watching them. Well, not a lot has changed. Um, The Bachelor is airing now, so catching up with that each week. And then Riverdale was back as of yesterday, January 20th. So I need to watch that too. So, Interesting. I still need to catch at. up on Riverdale. I have not watched it, so you do. And I know Pete hasn't either. I gave up on it, to be honest. <sighs> oh, oh man, fight, fight, fight! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, it, I definitely was super into it in the beginning, and then it just like, you know, kind of lost changed. me. And uh, it got a little too ridiculous for Courtney. 
And she was like, I'm out. And I'm just like, well, I'm not going to watch this. When did myself. it get too ridiculous, exactly? <laughs> I think it was season two. Okay. Yeah. Season one was the best, I think, which is not a great season one was <laughs> Season one was great. I loved season one so much. Yeah. It was tight. It had 13 episodes. Like, now I think, you know, the problem is that they try to fill, you know, um, the show with a whole 22 um, episode. Season doesn't need it. Um yeah, it's not great when your first season was your best season. I'm weird, Betty. I wear this hat. I never take it off. That makes me weird. Okay, so I love Jughead. I think that's the main reason why I watch the show. Not Cole Sprouse, Jughead. That's all I got. Pete, what have you been watching? Besides Survivor, which I am very, very well into. Where at? Um, I'm in season... Uh, I'm a little embarrassed to say I'm in season 23 now out of 40 something. Okay. I think Halfway. it's 40. I think what, it's 40. What, uh, where are they at? Cause I've been watching several myself. Um, this is redemption Island. <sighs> okay. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Boston Rob and Russell Hans make their return awesome. and they have a little, they duke it out and you know, I won't say anymore just in case you rewatch that season. Yeah. Cause that first final, tri- not final, sorry. The first tribal council is a doozy. Yeah. You got Philip, uh, who claims to be a special agent. I don't know if you remember him, but man, he's a character. <laughs> okay, I have not made it to Redemption Island yet, but. Yeah, I believe that's season 23. Um, right a- It was right after. That was a- the last season I watched. It was terrible. Is uh, Nicaragua, I believe, is the the country they were in. It was terrible. Okay. The most hate the most hated season of Survivor. I looked it up. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm learning. I'm learning my terms. I'm. I'm uh, the Reddit. The Reddit community has some terms for Survivor, like the purple edit, which comes out of that season. Which means a, a contestant has very little like airtime they're like basically non-existent because it's named after a contestant called her name was purple kelly that was her nickname so they call it the purple edit to mimics her edit because she was barely in the season okay she was very she was very boring and then she quit oh all right i like that something i learned also a goat is another term from Survivor that I think is weird. Not the greatest of all time. It's someone that you drag with you the whole time to the end, uh, and they're so bad at their social game, no one will vote for them. They call that that's, the challenge, the layup. I guess that's kind of the same thing, huh? Yeah, I'm sure it is. Okay. Yeah, right they call it a they call it a goat in Survivor, which I just learned the other day. I'm always curious if that strategy works, though, because I, I hear them always talking about that. And welcome to our po- our Survivor podcast, by the way. This is our <laughs> our side hustle. But I wonder if that works because if people pick up on it and they're like, like for instance, the heroes versus villains, which I'm sure you've been to. Uh, yeah, it's I just I, that was like three seasons ago or two seasons. Yeah. I don't know. I watched it. That's all that matters. Yeah, and, and Russell <laughs> is a is a jerk, or he's a vi- he was a villain, you know. And he brought Sandra along with him, who he thought had like no game, and was like, you know, no one liked yeah. her or didn't like her, but I'm going to bring her along and. You know, I did all these things to get here, but people disliked him so much and Poverty, who was there with him, that she won. 
So it's like I always wonder if that if that ghost strategy works because it's like if you're disliked more because you hustled people out who are voting for you to get the million dollars, they might give it to the other person. Yeah, it it work. I think it works, but it doesn't work for Russell because Russell never changed his game. I've seen him play three times, and he played the same way every time. And he, you know, the first time was the best time he played. He out removed out even the second time he like outplayed them pretty well, but he was so mean to the other people that it's like i don't fucking like you i'm not gonna vote for you because you're an asshole you know he claims to have a social game but he doesn't because how you have a social game if you're a fucking asshole to people he's just a jerk he's just a, a snake in a yeah jerk. is he a great strategist yes <laughs> but nobody votes for you any Anything else besides Survivor? Or has that been consuming most of the time? Man. I, like, can't, like, remember what else I've watched. Um, besides, like, um, Death Note, which is... Yeah. Not the movie. Not the oh. movie. It's the anime. Okay. Well. But it's still... It's it's horror-ish, I would say. You know, it's... You write a name in a book, and that person dies. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of rules to it. You know, you could you could kind of set up how the way they're gonna die. You know, you could make it really specific. And there's a lot of rules, like if it, if it's like impossible for them to die that way, they just die of a heart attack or something. I don't know. There's some crazy ass shit going on in this in this anime. That is dark. Yeah, it's a it's re- like man, like it's such a. If I was a teenager, man, all that angst would be like so fueled right now hmm. but i'm just enjoying it right now as a you know almost a 30 year old man you know i guess there's still some angst angst in there what's this that you sent me oh that's just what we're talking about if, if Lindsay hadn't didn't know of it that's the netflix trailer netflix made a movie you know me so well because i don't she, it, they made a, a yeah. movie about it on netflix from the anime okay if you wanted to check it out i'll William yep. Defoe. Cool. Yeah, that's the only thing I really remember watching. Well, you know, it's been a while since we talked, but the holidays were recently, so I watched a lot of Christmas-related movies, for sure. Same. Um, you know, watch those usually every year, a few here and there. But other than that, I don't think I've really watched too many horror, which is surprising. I really wanted to get into two things on Shudder. They had like a Giallo series, like a whole category. Um, just to uh, on Shutter, just at the Giallo genre, and I wanted to check those out. There's a lot of interesting ones on there, and then Crystal Lake Memories, the complete history of Friday the Thirteenth, the documentary series, is on Shutter, which is 400 minutes long. It's wow, a, that sounds and, uh, just up your alley. It, I am very interested, though. Yeah, and he also did Never Sleep. I think it's the same director who did Never Sleep Again, which is the complete documentary series for The Nightmare on Elm Street saga which is great i watched that i started that i don't know if i ever tell you i watched that in one sitting and i started it at uh 11 and at night you feel I, I was just like that's like four hours i, or something, I was right? yeah i watched the whole thing <laughs> i was just like this is great i need to watch this like i was just like i don't know what i was thinking because i was like tired i remember it so vividly like i was like i'm kind of tired 
I don't know, this documentary is pretty interesting. Maybe it would help me fall asleep. And I was like, no, I need to watch this whole thing right now. Yeah. It sounds extremely and then gripping. I did. And then I did. Um, yeah, I mean, like, I am a big fan of the series. I actually haven't even seen the whole series. I've seen, like, the first one, second one, which is awful. Third one, great. Haven't seen fourth, fifth, um, or sixth. And I believe it's the seventh one is Wes Craven Comes Back. New Nightmare, yeah. Yeah, that's what I've seen. I've seen, so I've seen one, two, three, and seven. I've seen one through four, because I believe three is Dream Warriors. Four is Freddy's Revenge. Dream Child. I thought it was Dream Child. It's two Freddy's Revenge? Okay, yeah. yeah, four is Dream Child. Then I've seen that one. Five and six. I guess not. I can't really recall what they are. I know one of them, Freddy, is like a superhero for a little bit. Like he does like a comic book shtick for a little bit. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. But I'm looking forward to that documentary series. Excited for it. Um, Also, I'll plug the podcast with Gorley and Rust because they do um, a Halloween podcast season. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Streets just came out. Uh, recently and they did jason uh, friday the 13th where each episode they watch one movie in the saga and talk about it for like two hours at length um so that's a really good podcast if you're looking to hear about those series i i still have to finish the friday the 13th one when i talk about it but like it's funny because i didn't know when i first listened to it i didn't know who Gurley was or how do you say Matt his name? is it mm-hmm. yeah um I then he's on Conan's podcast because he works with Conan, and then I was like, "Wait, I know I've heard this name before." <laughs> he also does prior to these podcasts um, a James Bond podcast. Uh, I forget the name of that one, but he went through like all of those movies. Ooh, I love that! Movies. I love James Bond. So yeah, I love James Bond. Movies. If you like him, and you know what he did with these horror genre series, he did a whole James Bond one, which is also very entertaining definitely into that but the last thing i watched was <laughs> on disney i have watched mighty ducks one d2 and i'm working my way through d3 because i haven't watched those in at least a decade if not more probably 15 Same. years it's been aren't they redoing aren't, aren't they doing another one or some shit that's what got my attention they're doing like a series i believe okay on, on and Plus. emilio is coming back Amelia was okay. coming back I for it. I believe so. Well, that's something. Yeah. That's what sparked my interest, and it was right there on the front page where I said, I'm going to watch these again. Yeah. Hmm. Not how I remember them as almost a 30 year old man, but definitely a, a good walk out Guys, of the ring. Can we stop rounding up our age, okay? Okay, I'll round down. I'm a 20 year old man. <laughs> Pete, you just turned 29. Matt and I, I are did. turning 29 in the next couple of days here. We're not 30, okay? Thank you. <laughs> we still got a whole year. As almost as almost a thirty year old man, I'm also watching uh, all the Star Wars movies in chronological order with Courtney because she hasn't seen all of them, and she wanted to watch it in chronological order, which I've never done before, and it's actually a pretty nice way to watch the Star Wars series. Yeah, that's a good one. One of my friends just did the Marvel Universe in chronological order, which is like twenty three films. Yeah, that's that's a lot. 
And you know what? That'll round out my section because I watched WandaVision, which is Marvel Universe. That was something I watched. I I love it. I love it so I did far. too. I love it. I would watch that show, like the first two episodes, you know, how it's set up kind of like Bewitched almost, or I Dream of Genie. I would yeah. watch that show if that was the whole show. I know it's going to change. That's that's what Courtney said. Yep. That's what she says. I would watch so many episodes of yeah. that. And I was just like, I was like, I don't blame you. They're pretty good. Yeah, I'd watch that show. That's really funny. But nonetheless, we are here because we watched a particular film in the horror genre. And it's rounding out our little trilogy, if you will, of the subgenre for zombie films. This is our third one. The first film we did was Night of the Living Dead. The second was Shaun of the Dead. And then today, we're going to be talking about the 2002 film directed by Danny Boyle, 28 Days Later. It's our third installment of this saga. And if you've never seen it, it stars Killian Murphy, um, Naomi Harris, uh, Brendan Gleeson. And it takes four weeks or 28 days after a mysterious incurable virus spreads throughout the UK. And we have a handful of survivors trying to find sanctuary. That's the general synopsis of 28 Days Later. Okay. Why why 28 days later, Pete? And is this your first viewing? Just kind of curious. No, it's it's been a while since I watched it, which is why I picked it again because it's been a few years. I remember really liking it the first time I watched it. I'm a fan of Danny Boyle, another another reason. Um I kind of like sneak peek, uh, it's probably one of my favorite zombie movies. 
Um, I just think it's done really well. And I think the digital photography didn't age very well, which is kind of a bummer. But, uh, you know, you can't do much with that because digital photography was pretty shitty at the time. Um, yeah, that's pretty much about it. Like, I just wanted to revisit it, and it's been a while since I watched it. Okay. Lindsay, had you seen it before? Nope, I did First not, time. so it was new for me. Fresh eyes, cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, had you seen it? I had, but I'm in the same boat as Pete's. It, it has probably been at least, I feel like, a decade. I mean, it came out in 2002. I probably haven't watched it in that long. But I remember really enjoying it on my first viewing. And I saw it several times after that. So I was excited to revisit it after so many... I think I saw 28 weeks later. I've seen that more recently than 28 days later. Which I also like. I think it's a pretty solid sequel. Mm -hmm. For sure. But, yeah. So cool. That's exciting. Fresh eyes and, you know watching it again after several years so I, I, I guess I'll kind of just go into the, the, the plot act one at least and give you kind of the horror significance we've told you that it's a zombie film what does it all mean does my life have any purpose at any rate this movie surely does it's time to discuss the horror significance. And this one would be interesting to talk about because the the previous two we watched was like Night of the Living Dead was the pinnacle, I think, of like starting the zombie genre we talked about. Like the mm -hmm. flesh eaters, they are the undead. They're slow moving. And what you get with this one, and even with Shaun of the Dead, you get that because it's kind of a parody of the Romero series, Dawn of the Dead, and, and those types of zombie films. But this one um, has been said to kind of reinvigorate the zombie genre at the time. This is 2002. Back in like the 90s, that genre had kind of died out a little bit. The 80s had some zombie films, but I think really the heyday was what, the 70s, late 60s, 70s, into the 80s. And people say this one really not only reinvigorated it, but also it added some new tropes. This is, I feel like, one of the first ones where we saw the fast-moving zombie. This is, you know, they're they're not just, you know, dragging after you. They're running really quickly. Apparently it appeared before that. Um, I thought it was the first appearance, but apparently I believe it's, like, an 80s movie that actually had the first fast-moving zombie. It was, like, I think it's Nightmare City or something like that. I'm hmm. remembering the name. I'm trying to remember the name. But it was like, that was truly the first fast moving zombie. But I feel like 28 Days Later, like, made it, like, pulp culture. Like, this, it's in the forefront. This is mainstream yeah. zombies now. That's a good point. Like, yeah, it was, uh, people knew Killian Murphy, I feel like, at that time. Or maybe not. Maybe he was, like, this is one of his first ones. Because I know we know of him now, but this is 2002. This is before a lot of it's, it's pretty early, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think that was early on in his career. Yeah. It's before, because he's in Sunshine with he did, what he did with Danny Boyle. It's before his show Peaky Blinders. Before he did Batman. Yeah, before Red Eye um, with Wes Raven. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Loved Red Eye. That's a good one. Mm -hmm. He's really good in that. Yeah. yeah. So maybe this is one of the first times we see him as like I mean I guess in a big a lead. Yeah, lead in a big huge blockbuster. 
a worldwide sensation, I guess. But yes, and then I, I had a question about that. We talked about the fast-moving zombies, which um, they might have kind of put into pop culture. Uh, it's at least what people attach it to. This people debate this one about being zombies because yeah, it's it's a, we learn it, it's like a virus that was it's called rage. That was in these chimpanzees that were at a, a testing center or a laboratory of some sort that infects uh, a person, an activist who's trying to release these chimpanzees, and it, it quickly spreads to them. Within you get in your bloodstream, if they bite you, twenty seconds you become the infected. But I feel like when you refer to this movie, people still say zombie, but it's just you know, I would consider it it's just a virus strain compared to being undead would you guys agree or do you see it as not being zombie? i i really do see it as a zombie movie and like if you think about it like when it's like when the zombie bites you in other zombie movies you become a zombie how is that not a virus right you know it's like it's the same thing (laughs) and then there's other movies where like like let's say or even just like walking dead for example they find out that like when you die, you tra- you go into a zombie because it's a virus. Um, I as- I assume it maybe took inspiration from this movie um, and Romero's movies, kind of mashing them together. But like, I just feel like most zombie movies, especially like since Romero's time, has always been kind of like there's a you know a virus that's like either at the forefront or maybe just like, maybe it's like kind of subtly averted to. Definitely. That's a good point. Cause even in night of the living dead, we don't get much of an explanation, but they did say it was something with like radiation from the satellite that was overhead. So it's something that triggered people to act like it wasn't just, you know, they died and they became a zombie. There's something contagious. That... There's another force at exactly. play. I think people just sometimes want to say this is different because I don't know, but maybe it's just the first scene is, you know, they're saying, hey, it's a it's a virus and it'll infect you. And people associate other zombie films of the past with I, you don't get that at the forefront. I feel like I feel like you're meeting the characters first in other zombie films. And then there's like a slow surge or siege of zombies that come later. And you don't learn about what's the cause until later in the film, or never. So, that's it. I think it's because horror fans, especially zombie horror fans, are really annoying. (laughs) (laughs) They're diehards. And that's with any any fandom, I say, as much love I can possible. Fandoms are terrible, and they usually are pretty toxic. (laughs) I will agree with that. Yeah. Because yeah, otherwise, I think it doesn't. Yeah, there's zombies, and it adds some new flair to it. But it does keep a lot of the tropes. I mean, like that you'd see in other movies. So I, I would consider them zombies just with a new spin, like just a different outlook on yeah. the genre, trying something different. That's exactly what Romero said to do with movies. Yeah, going back to your point from the uh, other day, it's like make a movie and then find a new spin to make it a little different. Because that's all you can do. Yeah. And I think they did that with with this film. With Alec, Alex Garland was the writer uh, with Danny Boyle. But I think there was a very good partnership there. I feel like they worked together on it, even though Garland gets... He's the writing credit. But 
that's sort of the zombie film. Um, the horror significance, Lisa, we talked about. I'll just briefly really just throw you into Act 1. about to start. Gather round as Matt dishes out the details for Act 1 of this horrifying film. I hope you make it out alive until the very end. Of what happens. One, I told you, there's a laboratory where there's this chimpanzee. Uh, these activists are trying to release these chimpanzees that are being tested. We learn that they're infected with rage, I believe is what they called it, and it's highly contagious. If it gets in your blood or your saliva, it'll spread. They release one of the chimpanzees. It bites one of the activists. Flash forward to we see a, a credit or a card, a credit, I don't know what I'm looking for here, a blank screen with a title card. Thank you. Thank you, Brain. I finally got to it. <laughs> title card uh that just says 28 days later hence the title and we were first met with uh killian murphy in a hospital alone and i really love this portion of the film because you know i think it's the next 10 minutes at least that it's him waking up alone in a hospital being really disoriented there's nobody there and he's like slowly making his way through the hospital nobody's there there's like vending machine he gets a looks broken and people broke into it and he drinks a soda from it grabs some food puts on a gown and then wanders into town of which is london and there's nobody and it, it is just desolate and the way they film it where you know it makes him look so small and so alone um i think it's you know it's one of my favorite scenes not only in this movie but you know of a lot of movies because i think they just shot it really well for for in london as well like i mean it was shot there and to do that and make it seem like it was so deserted and we pick up very quickly from like newspapers that humanity went into chaos because of something um and he's just ambling around completely lost calling for somebody and we quickly then he he goes into this church looking potentially for sanctuary um hopefully finding somebody there and he does find a priest he does find somebody he was looking for, but that's where he meets his first infected and several others um, that clearly have the rage. And he goes running out and he meets up with uh, two characters who are not infected and they let him know kind of up to speed what the hell's going on. It looks like the world is infected. That's the last we heard. Radio broadcasts are dead. Uh, and it's just us out here. Uh, I would say... You could fast forward pretty quickly. It's them going to Killian Murphy's, which his name is Jim in the film, his parents' house to basically prove to him that the infected has, it's a real thing. Um, it's not just some crazy dream, which he thinks it is, to find that his parents have passed away. And then the next thing we find is they meet up with uh, Brendan Gleeson's character and his daughter. They find them based on Christmas lights going off in a... It's like an apartment complex. They see lights going off. They're drawn to it. And it's really just them kind of ambling through the city, um, surviving. And during this time, you're really learning about their characters. I think they do a really good job 
it's not just like a complete onslaught of the infected during that time, but you're really learning about Jim and Selena, which is Naomi Harris's character, um, and their mm-hmm. backstories. And you see, you're seeing them um, build a bond together. Uh, you know, they haven't known each other for more than 24 hours, but you know now they're uh, leaning on each other for survival. But they find Brendan Gleeson and his daughter, who have been holed up in this apartment complex. They hear over the radio that it looks like near Manchester there's a military blockade that could potentially be a safe haven. And that's where they go. I think that kind of this exposition, Act 1, they leave the the city of London and they're going to go over to Manchester and, and hit the military blockade and hopefully find something there. Which Brendan Gleeson, for all of you who don't know his name, if you're Harry Potter fans, that's Mad-Eyed Moody. I did not make that connection. He's a great he actor. Is. He's so great. I'm so happy when I see him. Especially in Lake Placid. That's a horror-esque movie, right? He's in that one. That's true. That's the alligator yeah. one, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's been a while since I've seen that movie. Yeah, Bill Pullman's in that one. <laughs> it's basically just an anaconda ripoff. Big time. Yeah. They're like, okay, what's some stars we can get with a big animal? Okay, we got it. <laughs> yeah. It was like a mix of Anaconda and Jurassic Park. Like, they tried to do the whole, like, because, what's his name? Oliver Platt. Do you remember that guy, that actor? He's still around. Yes, Oliver I do. Platt. He's supposed to be, I feel like, the Jeff Goldblum character of that movie. He's like, uh, oh, sorry, Jeff Goldblum from Jurassic Park, where he's like, you know, the suave scientist who knows, you know, about crocs and everything. It's like they try to blend chaos, yes, the chaos theory. <laughs> They're trying to blend that in with anaconda, and you get like blessed. But I digress. Um, I'm gonna need some help actually rejogging my memory. It's been a very long time since I watched this movie for this podcast. Did you say 28 days um, or later? Uh, later, later, okay. <laughs> yeah. 28 weeks. No, it hasn't been that long. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so. Um, I think I know where my part ends. Are you still with us? Are you going to test your luck? Do you think you can make it to the end? We will see. For now, people indulge us with some juicy act two details. And that's the, like, you know, I could do that. <laughs> Work my way backwards. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever it takes. <laughs> um, I would say the second act ends when Brendan Gleeson gets infected by having a single drop of blood go into his fucking eyeball. Yes, that was so unfortunate. Um, which I feel like was pretty, I don't know... I feel like at the time, even when I watched it, which was years later, like, I feel like that is, like, such a huge scene, because, like, you really just don't expect it, and it's a very, like, such a quick and easy way to get infected, because it's, like, so little. Right. I don't know. That, it's a great that scene. That always sticks with me, 100%. Like, when I first, I, it, it was burned into my brain when I first saw the movie. Probably in like I feel like I want to say oh six I saw this like the precipice of high school, but 
Yeah, you're not expecting it, and then, like, it's a close-up. Like, you see it, the drop, come all the way down from, like, because he kicked this steel pole, and the drop goes all the way down, and bam, blinks in his eye. And it's a really good cut to, like, show then, like, he probably has to contact in or whatever, but it's so quick. Um, yeah, it's jarring. Yeah, it's pretty heartbreaking, especially, like, you know, the daughter and the father. Yeah. You know, I think it's not too surprising, I guess, that all four of them at this point weren't going to make it, but it's still hurt nonetheless. It's because this movie does a good job of you actually caring about the characters, even though, you know, it's not that, that long of a movie, you know, mm-hmm. it, I think it just, I just highlight to the writing and that part did. Between those two guys, Danny Boyle and who was the other? Who was the main writer? You said Alex Garland. Yeah, they do. They give enough time. Even I think in the first act, and then like the second act, I think is really just them kind of. It's the trip to the barricade, like where the military blockade is, getting supplies, um, you know, roadblocks of the infected and stuff. But they give enough time to like you know really feel for those characters um, and watch them grow. Um, and the relationships between them, like, you know, Brandon Gleason and his daughter and, like, Jim and Selena becoming, like, a family almost within just a couple of weeks because they need each other to survive. Like, that supermarket scene is really great where they find they find yeah. a supermarket and they're all just kind of, like, uh, you know, uh, you know, going around in shopping carts and, like, trying to get the best liquor and stuff. And it's a really good scene. What other... So there's obviously that scene in the second act, and then it ends with the eye claim, the eye, the eye drop. I feel like there's probably another highlight in there too that I feel like we're missing. I think I think there's two two big scenes that I can think of. Is one where they're first they they drive in the tunnel that Jim was skeptical of, mm-hmm. and they get a flat, and they have to fix the flat as they see the infected coming, which is a pretty intense yeah. scene. Uh, that's really true. well edited, I thought, back and forth, pretty disorienting. You, you could feel them really approaching, and they get away from that. And then the other, the other one is they they find a campout spot and like they have a picnic in like that really beautiful pasture almost. Um, and they stay there, and they see those horses um, out in the open and everything. Um, yeah, I really like that scene. Yes, Frank was very taken. By the horses, I remember. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think that's it for, for most of that, that act, too. It's yeah. the journey. Would would you would you agree with that being the ending of the act, two? is the eye drop? Is that an accurate... Probably. Statement? I think that's pretty close. I feel like most of act three, if I had to just choose as like the military meeting, you're with the military guys now. Like, you're at that mansion. Okay, yeah. I was going to say, I think that came right after, because it was just the three of them left. Yeah. You're still here. Very few have made it this far. It's time to meet the satisfying conclusion to the scary movie. Lindsay will provide all of the events in the final act. So our three remaining heroes, um, they've been through enough at this point, um, but we're not done yet. So 
um, with Jim, Selena, and Hannah, um, the ones that remain, um, when they get to that military blockade, they meet uh, Major West, who's in charge. Um, and uh, all three of them are brought to like this mansion. Um, and basically, you know, after some things happen, we basically find out like, you know, that broadcast um, that they heard, which kind of attracted them there, it was all a ruse. Um, and West tells them that all they really wanted, and this is just like the worst part of this whole movie, probably, um, they wanted women because, quote, women mean a future. So, um, what this means, as we find out, is that Hannah and Selena are about to be forced into sexual slavery, um, in order for them, you know, the soldiers that are there, um, there's like a small group of them, I want to say, um, they need, you know, Hannah and Selena in order to repopulate um, the world. Um, so obviously, you know, um, Jim is not having this and tries to escape the mansion with Hannah and Selena, but he gets caught. They throw him in the basement um, and he meets this other like fallen from grace soldier, Pharaoh. Um, and he tells uh, Jim that he thinks the virus hasn't even left Great Britain and that, um, you know, the country is just being quarantined. Um, right? Like, oh, shit. So, okay. Um, so the following day, Hannah and Selena are, you know, kind of preparing themselves for the worst. Um, and because uh, they're in captivity and Jim and the other guy, Farrell, are led into the forest um, to be killed by those soldiers. Um, the soldiers succeed in killing Farrell, unfortunately, but um, as soon as they let their guard down and they start arguing with each other is when Jim gets away. Um, and as he's running, he sees a plane overhead, which proves to him that uh, the country is under quarantine. Um, so Jim is able to make his way back to the mansion and freeze um, like this one infection infected soldier who the major was kind of keeping under observation. Um, and he lets him loose, which is just, like, the biggest, like, <laughs> you know, fuck you. And um, so he lets him loosen all the remaining soldiers. And Jim makes his way back to Hannah and Selena. Um, so they're reunited. But, um, you know, so that kind of takes care of itself with the infected soldier, like, um, out. And uh, but <laughs> uh, on their way out, they meet the Major West again. Um who obviously is upset that he, you know, killed his men, so he shoots Jim in the stomach. And I'm like, man, you know, you guys almost got away. Um, but uh, Hannah, like, was in the cab, I guess, like, and she was driving, and he was in there as well, the major. She's in the driver's seat. She reverses, which allows him to get caught by the infected soldier, and he dies. And then the trio finally then escape. Um... So then at the very end, another 28 days have passed. Um, Jim is recovering from his injury. And um, those that have been affected have died due to starvation. Um, and then the three of them have like a cloth banner that spells out hello um, when they see a jet flying overhead. And we don't really know if the jet saw them or not. We just hope that they did. Um, they yeah. seem pretty optimistic, but... Um, so that's where things end, and then, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but there's, like, this little what-if scene 
after the credits. Um, I think that's when they kind of just had that alternate ending of where Jim actually ends up succumbing to his injury and passes. Is that right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I kind of like this ending better. You made it. They finished discussing the plot of this terrifying movie. Onward to the fun bits of trivia and production for this film. Yeah, that's interesting you bring that up because that ending was the one that said what if was Danny Boyle's and Alec Garland's initial ending. They, that was the script. Mm-hmm. Was was That was the ending and they did it to test audiences and like you said, Lindsay, um, they didn't like it. They, people were like, it's, yeah. it's too fatalistic. It's not, you know, it, it looks like the uh, Selena and Hannah are going off to a certain death and like Jim is, is dead and it it was too, you know, too depressing of an ending. It didn't really give you anything to hope for. And so they, they, the ending we saw is what they changed it to as he recovers. And Danny Boyle really okay. fought like for that, that what if scene at the end just to get his scene in. Wow. So they put it in. I'm glad for I, that. I think it. No, go finish your thought. Is that right? I always took it as, like, I always forget that it's, like, a what if, and I always took it as, like, kind of, like, oh, this is a reason why they made a sequel. Because, <laughs> like, it seems like there's just more things happening, and then that's why, like, they revisit it 28 weeks later just to see how the country's doing. Yeah. That's how I always took it, because I always forget that it's a what if. <laughs> Yeah, there was another alternative ending. I don't know, Lindsay, do you have the other ending in your production or trivia at all? No, so oh, fire away. Cool. So the other one I heard that I read, Danny Boyle wrote, was basically there's a departure from where the blockade is and is it, what is Brendan Gleason's name? Is it Frank? Frank. Frank. Once he gets infected, it's a complete departure from there. Where he becomes infected and somehow they're able to wrangle him. Um, kind of like they did with the soldier at the mansion. They're able to, you know, wrangle him in, but they don't they don't kill him and there's no soldiers. Instead, on the other side of the barricade is the complex that we saw at the beginning where the monkey was held. It's not the military base, it's the medical complex. They go there and there's someone who's barricaded themselves inside with a bunch of food and water that says, you know, they believe they know they're, they're looking, they're working on a cure and they're finding the cure and all the cure they came up with, or they thought it was like a complete blood transfusion. So Killian Murphy offers himself up as a sacrifice to the blood transfusion to Frank. So Frank will live and the virus then is transferred over to Jim. And the end of the movie is him laying on the, the slab where the monkey was at the beginning, watching all those images of chaos across the world. And now Jim is the one on that table as he's slowly turning infected, watching all those images, and the infected storm into the complex. And that's the end of the movie. Damn. Huh. To which Danny Boyle said, I would have he would have liked that one, but he said we already established that one drop of blood can turn you. And uh they'd have to basically drain Brennan Gleese's complete body and like scrape his blood vessels to make sure there was not one drop of blood. That was infected. So it's just impo- it was literally impossible. <laughs> he was like, "This would be a stupid movie." So like, we're gonna go it this way instead. Yeah. So that was another ending. 
that they had in mind. I also feel like even if like let's say they drop like the blood scene, the blood drop scene to make it believable, it's just like actually that makes me think of um, Near Dark a little bit. Mm-hmm. Where I don't know if you have you ever seen that no, map. No. It's um, oh god, what's her name? Who directs the Hurt Locker? What's her uh, name? What's her name? Oh, I should, I should know that. Uh, Bigelow, right? Catherine Bigelow. Yep, yep, Bigelow. Um, in order to cure the vampires, they just need like a blood transfusion. Interesting. Which is really it is. I always that that's just immediately where my head went to is that they c- cured her vampirism with a blood transfusion in that movie. So maybe they took some inspiration from. I didn't know she did that. Interesting. I'm looking at it now with Bill Paxton. Yeah. I highly recommend it. It is very hard to watch as it's not streaming anywhere and you can't buy it anywhere. Oh. I borrowed it from a friend when they had it, when they used to make it on, because he had it on DVD or some shit. Cool. That's cool. Yeah, I'll have to find it. Oh, good <laughs> luck. Uh, most likely online somewhere. Hopefully someone did, did us all yeah. a favor. <laughs> But one final point, I think, before we kind of launch into trivia and, uh, you know, Defender Destroy, on the endings, I wanted to mention, you know, the I like the ending, the one we saw, but, uh, you know, watching it and listening to some people uh, kind of talk about it, I think it, it would have been like a full circle if he, Jim would have died because he's constantly searching for, like, a father figure, if you will, like someone like a family, but really a father figure. And each one of the father figures that he finds is either infected or dies. Where like the first one, he goes to the church and there's a father or a priest is infected and he, he doesn't find sanctuary. And then the next one he finds essentially would be Mark, Mark with Selena, but Mark becomes infected and he gets killed. And then the next one is Frank, uh, which he literally says when he wakes up from the nightmare. Thanks, dad. Uh, when he's like, you're just having a bad dream. Ah. Thanks, Dad. And then Frank dies. And then we have, uh, what's his name, Harris at the the camp who goes, you don't, have to, you don't have to worry about anything. I'll take care of you. And like rubs his head like a kid almost when he's sitting down. And then it comes full circle where he like becomes a part of the, like he has to act like the infected, learns that like we're not that different than the infected, and like takes charge of his, of his own, you know, destiny, if you will storms the, the mansion kills all the soldiers and rescues selena and hannah and it just kind of would have been like a full arc if like then he would have died as soon as he became what he was like searching for like they all died mm. then he died once he once he <laughs> became it he would have also that's deep he would have died as well it still works i mean you have to really work for that you know that arc but it would have been interesting yeah Or you could say that it ends because he becomes the father figure. I guess, like, yeah. you, you said that because he, he becomes it at the very end. And that, and that's the ending. That's yeah. true. He could have became it. Yeah. But that's just another thought I had um, kind of watching it. But I do like that, though. It definitely yeah, it poses, like, insightful. you know, yeah. Well, do we have any trivia or production notes for 20 Days Later? You better believe it. Yeah. Um, 
So, um, to start, there's a lot on this movie. Of course, I always go to IMDb. Um, it's probably the best source for um, trivia, so there's a lot on there, but some stuff that I thought was interesting. Um, with the original choice to play Jim, there was a few uh, other ideas at first. Uh, even McGregor was the first choice. Oh, wow. um, but at the time, like he and the director, Danny Boyle, like had some sort of, um, you know, falling out um, over the 2000 movie, The Beach. Uh, and McGregor was supposed to be the lead in that movie, but we all know that Leonardo DiCaprio took over in that movie. Um, and I guess they're, you know, Danny Boyle and even McGregor are good now, but uh, at the time, you know, so that didn't work out. And uh, then it was offered to Ryan Gosling, which I think Ryan Gosling would have done a really good job in this movie too, um, but he couldn't do it. So um, we got Killian Murphy, who I think did great as well. So um, it's just kind of interesting, you know, how uh, it's not always so smooth with casting. Yeah. And how would it have been different, you know, if uh, another actor had been in that lead role? So yeah. I thought that was interesting. I really think if you and McGregor would have been in it, it would have become like, like almost what De Niro and Scorsese, or how certain directors have actors because Train Spotting was Danny Boyle and you and McGregor, yeah. and kind of put you and McGregor on the map. And like shortly after would have been, you know, twenty days later, and that would have been huge, and it would have kind of been like you know, that actor-director combination. Um, they would have been paired together mm -hmm. forever. Um, so next up, um, so I guess, like, they kind of, you know, rage is what it's called in the movie, disinfection, um, but they, the filmmakers, based it on Ebola, um, you know, which can be transferable in uh, all primates, including humans, according to IMDb. So um, transmitted through the blood, um, so Ebola, you know, has the same uh, symptoms that we see in this movie here, rash, red eyes, um, you know, internal, external bleeding. Um, so, yeah, that's pretty much all I have to say. But, um, and, you know, <laughs> we're kind of going through our own uh, global pandemic now. So, uh, I don't know. It just this kind of hit home a little bit, I guess, in a way. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this is based on Ebola. Interesting. Did you guys know that? No, I didn't know no, that. No, but it, yeah. it makes sense. I mean, I guess around that time frame. And... Yeah, I feel like this movie is really good. I mean, it's a virus. Like, it's a virus movie based on a virus. But I feel like this movie could be extrapolated to, like, any sort of... It's It could be an apocalyptic movie. Any sort of, like, society breakdown and what you fear... It is sure. the virus like you feel like when society breaks down like like, like these structures or institutions like the government or the military and all these things are supposed to take care of you when they fall through and then and then the actual villain if you will is rage is people who are just like enraged and are trying to like attack you it's just like you know a metaphor in of itself that a societal breakdown and that, that's terrifying in of itself it's just a big metaphor for that absolutely yeah and this is post i don't know if i said this like this is right after 9 11 as well that's fresh in everybody's mind as well this global pan yeah, that's a panic point. it's easy to forget that almost 20 years later but yeah mm -hmm. that's absolutely true um let's see here 
If you can edit out this long pause, <laughs> I would love that. Can, can do. <laughs> I lost track of one of the ones I was going to say, because it was going to relate to uh, the 28 Days Later, like why it was 28 Days Later, but I can't find it, so whatever. Um, okay, so last point here. Um, we know the film writers, Alex Garland and Danny Boyle, um, you know, they thought that the idea of the living dead wanting to eat people's brains was a little tired, a little outdated. Um, so I think, you know, according to this, one of the first, you know, original factors behind zombie movies was a fear of nuclear power, its possible effects on people. Um, you know, so, and I would say that this is pretty dead on because apparently the two of them concluded that one of the biggest fears in modern society is fear of disease. Um, you know, yeah. as you kind of touched on already, Matt, a viral apocalypse, no less. Um, you know, and I think we can confirm that in present times. Um, so they were very inspired by, um, you know, things like anthrax, um, you know, that kind of when that yeah. happened then, uh, mad cow disease, um, foot and mouth disease in the UK. So that's kind of the inspiration, I guess, um, you know, behind that, all of that coming together into what we have as 28 days later now. Yeah, it's true. I forgot all those happened around the same time, you know, 20 mm -hmm. years ago. That's cool. Yeah, so uh, that's what I got. Oh, okay. I did find my bonus uh, thing. Um, so we don't really know this for sure. I don't think the director ever um, confirmed this, but the title, you know, because I kind of was wondering if you're anything like myself, why 28 days later exactly. Um, they, it has been concluded that it might be in reference to the fact that peak immunity from a uh, virus is usually considered to happen 28 days later after an infection is contracted. So that's cool. That might be why. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I mean that makes that makes Not sense. Done. But then it also sets up uh, pretty well if you want to make any sequels. It's a pretty uh, pretty easy title to work with, as as we know, yeah. the next one's twenty eight weeks later. Um, so you yep. just know it's down the line. They were supposed to do it twenty eight months later, but that never, obviously that never happened. <laughs> yeah, I heard. I think the last I heard about that was like Danny in like 2017, maybe Danny Boyle mentioned that he's still interested, but nothing actualizing. Wasn't he like against sequels for so long until he did Train Spotting too? Probably, yeah. <laughs> did his own, yeah. Which I feel like was. I mean, I didn't even see it. I feel like I had no interest in seeing it. <laughs> I didn't either, but I heard good things about it. I heard that it was it was pretty good. I mean, I would imagine if it's him doing it, that it's not, it's not going to be bad at least. Like if somebody else did a new one. That was, that's her. That was probably 20 years, it was 20 years after the original, which is crazy to think. Yeah, I, was it 2017? Yeah, that's when the second one came out. That's crazy. Yeah. Which you and McGregor returned for that, so they're good. You did. Well, they're good. I love Aaron McGregor. He's great. I do too. I think, yeah. I think my favorite with him was Big Fish. Big Fish is good. I really like Beginners. Have you guys ever seen Beginners at all? 
No, I haven't seen that. It's actually no. Christopher Plummer won Best Supporting Actor for it several years ago, probably 2011. But it's super good. It's it's him and uh, I'm gonna butcher her name. She's the French actress from Inglorious Bastards, the blonde Melania. Melania. Oh yeah. Melania Larnette or something. It's it's good. I'd recommend it. That's a good one too. Mm. But yeah, I, I think that that kind of rounds it out. If we want to get into Defender Destroy. We've reached the conclusion of the podcast. Congratulations on making it all the way. You have one final challenge. The terrible trio will decide whether this movie passes the test. Choose wisely. Defend or destroy. Yeah. I'm yeah. good with that. You go first. Um, well, I already gave away what I thought. I defend this movie since I pretty much count it as my uh, favorite zombie movie. Um, it just got great acting, great pacing. Um, I mean, I don't know what you're mouthing over there, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> but you seem very it's excited. A surprise reaction. Um, yeah, I mean, that's all I can really say. It's it's got a lot of good things going for it. It's, um, honestly, probably one of Danny Boyle's best, in my opinion. Like, it's just like, you know. He works well with uh, with a smaller budget. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah, and for anybody else who, you know, we mentioned Danny Boyle and Train Spotting's a big one. Twenty eight days later, but he also did One Hundred Twenty Seven Hours, Slumdog Millionaire, Les Misérables, which were all you know Academy Award ones. So he's kind of all over the board. Like, and a lot of his stuff I think is really good. Um, but I've always liked his lower budget ones more. Um, like, I mean, people people like Slumdog Millionaire, but I've always liked Train Spotting, Twenty Days Later, those ones a lot more than his bigger production, where he gets the the big studios behind him to make that best picture movie. Yeah. But I'll I'll be quick. I'll I defend it. I I love Twenty Eight Days Later. I can remember see. I remember the time when I first saw it when I was probably what like thirteen or fourteen. Like, I remember watching it and, like, being captivated the whole time, and it was super enjoyable again to watch it. Now, several years later, I picked up on a lot of different things later in life. Um, now that I've seen a bunch of different movies, too, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, I think it's just, it's well-filmed, it's well-acted. They, they do a, a great job developing the characters so that you feel for them when things happen, uh, when the infected come. And kudos to it. It, it did reinvigorate the the uh what the zombie genre at the time like uh dawn of the dead Zack snyder i believe did that said he directly wanted to do it because he saw it 28 days later and wanted to then do dawn of the dead um you know Shaun of the dead might not have happened because if if dawn of the dead didn't come out again you know Shaun of the dead might not have come out uh world war z we get train to busan which we've done on this podcast um, it really kind of maybe brought it more into re- uh, relevance and you know you got the fast acting zombies which became you know, I, I feel like the mainstay, I feel like the zombie movies we see now are the fast-moving zombies. If people make a new zombie movie anymore, it's the fast-moving ones. But nonetheless, I love 28 Days Later. I recommend it. And I'll say 28 Weeks Later. Go check that one out, too. Well, okay. So, to round things out, um, 
I don't really have anything intelligent to say about this, and uh, this okay. might be a little controversial since this movie seems to be pretty well received, but um, it was not one of my top zombie flicks. Uh, I was pretty bored up until the end. I do like Killian Murphy, but and I felt bad for the characters. I think, you know, it was not hard to sympathize with them. Um, but I didn't really like it, so it's destroyed. Okay. I feel so bad. Have you ever felt bad for not liking a movie? Uh, all the time, but uh, you like <laughs> yeah. what you like. Yeah. Yeah, so that's... I don't think Danny Boyle is going to like lose sleep over me not liking his film, so it's fine. <laughs> it evens out. I mean, yeah, it's, it's been almost 20 yeah. years since this movie came out. I think he'll be okay. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Danny. No. Alright, so, yep. I got it out. I feel oh, better Danny now. Boy. Yeah, but I think... I mean, it's interesting you say that like I, I thought you said in there that you it was slow and like when people when i was reading stuff who didn't enjoy it or didn't enjoy all of it they thought that like there were parts that were kind of dragged on and it, it really picked up in that you know at the mansion if you will but prior to that it it was kind of you know slow very slowly paced slow burn um for a lot mm-hmm. of it um and i get that especially during those opening scenes for sure i could see that i yeah. think like the like to me, like if you're like a zombie movie fan, the the focus is not the characters, and since yeah. this is more of a character driven movie, it feels slow because they're just like, oh, I want the action with the zombies. <laughs> you know, you're not you're not really getting that. That's true. In this movie, that's true. Yeah, even that final sequence is really people on people. There's the infected that breaks loose because uh, Jim lets them loose, but, you know, it's him attacking a lot of the soldiers. Yeah. Yeah, I can understand why people like it. Um, You know, for me, it was just um, not as interesting as some of the other ones that we've watched. That's fine. And we watched some really good ones, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So we had Night of the Living Dead. This concludes our trilogy. We're doing, you know, three in the subgenre of Zamba. Zamba. Zombie, sorry. Zamba. <laughs> Zumba. Good old Zamba. Zumba on the brain. Gotta go do that after this. <laughs> so but we did Night of the Living Dead, which I believe um was unanimous defend. Shaun of the Dead, I believe, was unanimous defend. And then twenty eight days later, we have two defends and a destroy. So that was the makeup of the Pretty good yeah. track. Pretty good track record of the three that we did. Um, I'll I'll let people know. I think th- this is definitely on Amazon if you want to watch this. I don't think it's it's on Netflix or Shutter, um, but I believe Amazon if you want to rent no, it. No, it's not. Unfortunately, but that's where I know it's 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 streaming actually in on Amazon. Okay. Yes, it's free like with you... that membership. I think. Yeah. Perfect. Well, there you go. So if you're looking to watch it, it's free on Amazon if you have a membership, and if not, you can rent it at least there. But until next time, though, thank you for tuning in. We'll have potentially another little trilogy subgenre we'll go over next. Um, so tune in for that. Until next time, you know, get at us on our website, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes. We'd love to hear what you're thinking. If you have any ideas for us that you want us to do, I appreciate it. Or if there's any blogs you want us to do, um, we will write those up post-haste. Um, but until next time, I'm Matt Johnson, and I will remain in the shadows. Um... I'm Peter Hansen, and I'm going to be walking in a day, so Matt can't bother me. <laughs> That's good. I'm Lindsay Clark. Bye, everyone.